and welcome back to The Classical Circuit, the podcast that deep dives into the intricate world of classical music and all that comes with working in it. I'm your host, Ella Lee, and each episode I'm joined by a brilliant guest from across the industry to discuss their best career high, their worst career low, and other things that show you a different side to the one you might see on their website. My guest today is the trumpet soloist Matilda Lloyd, who first crossed my radar last year, round about the release of her debut album for Shandos, Casta Diva. And alongside performing, she also gives masterclasses and talks regularly, both here in the UK and abroad, as well as being a London Mozart Players Education Ambassador and an ambassador for the charity Brass for Africa. Uh, She also has her own podcast, Musical Roots, and Matilda joined me back in September all the way from Berlin and spoke about what success means to her, uh, the ups and downs of social media, taking the plunge during COVID, and I was particularly struck by her tenacity, and it was just lovely to chat to her. So, enjoy! Matilda, hello and welcome! Thank you so much. Now, you have really made a name for yourself on the international trumpet scene as a soloist, and you continue to do so. Success is totally subjective, of course, but I'm wondering if you were to take stock of the course of your career so far and, you know, where you are now, do you feel successful? Yes, I do. Um, But that success hasn't come easily and I would say that I'm nowhere near as successful yet as I would like to be but I think that I'm on the path (laughs) Um, and I think that for me especially Covid and the whole pandemic threw a huge spanner in the works and there was definitely a time where I thought perhaps it wasn't going to be possible at all to to be successful or my idea of being a successful trumpet soloist. Um, So I'm very pleased, very happy that I felt like I am finally back on the right path again. Um, So yeah, that's exciting. Oh, well, that's wonderful to hear. So what exactly is your definition of success? I think for me, I've always felt that being a creative, being a musician, we are so lucky because we essentially are able to make a living from doing, you know, what we did as a hobby when we were kids, what we did for fun. So for me, I think that's my definition of success is being able to sort of comfortably live off doing what I enjoy the most. Um, I haven't been sucked into a corporate job or a nine to five. Obviously, these things are very appealing to some people, but they have never been for me. I've never particularly enjoyed um, routine and that kind of doing the same thing every day. I love the adventure of the life that I lead and getting to travel to all these amazing places and meet so many people and experience different cultures and cuisines and all of these different things that are an amazing bonus of sharing my music. Picking up on the traveling thing, you must spend a lot of time traveling alone, I'm guessing. And you obviously also spend a lot of time practicing and that's also going to be alone. Amongst all of that, is it important for you to maintain close personal relationships? And do you even get any opportunity to do that? Absolutely. I mean, I think I've always been someone that will instigate going out for coffee with someone or grabbing a drink with someone or let's have a phone call. So I think that has always come quite naturally to me. And um, I do put the effort in for those close family and friends. Um, 
I do spend a lot of time alone on the road uh, and at home, as you say, practicing. I think that's actually probably when, when I would spend more time alone is when I'm at home rather than when I'm traveling, because there's always the orchestra or the conductors, the management, your chamber music collaborators. So that's that's wonderful. And I absolutely love that. So I think I've definitely had to make peace with the fact that I will spend a lot of time alone and I think I'm slowly learning to be okay with that and to be comfortable with that and to become my own best friend, really. You strike me as quite a social person. Was it difficult for you in the beginning to get used to spending that much time alone? Definitely. I have always been a social person and I've always been someone that I get my energy from other people or from being around other people. I think some people um, recharge their batteries alone. And I'm sort of the opposite. I recharge my batteries from other people. <laughs> oh, I totally get that. Well, well, actually, I'm more of what you would call uh, an ambivert, I suppose. But I can imagine if you were a definitive extrovert, it could actually get quite challenging. It's like a muscle that you train in some way, I guess, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that now, much more so than a few years ago, I actually quite look forward to some of the time that I spend on my own. If I've got an evening to myself, for example, I think, oh, good, you know, I can cook myself a nice meal and I can watch some Netflix. <laughs> and, you know, I can look forward to that as well. So I think that is definitely something I've been learning over the last few years. It's like to find that balance. There you go, character development. It's a full on life. Yeah, it's a full on life. And it it takes a lot of energy. <laughs> And you need to have that energy at the, at the right moments. So I think it's important to sort of rest and recuperate between concerts. Mm. And well, my limited experience of the brass world was in my first year at music college when I was living with two brass students. And obviously it was a very social environment, lots of heavy drinking. Not that that doesn't exist outside of the brass world, of course, but that's obviously a huge stereotype. So would you say that that culture exists beyond the confines of a student environment as well? Definitely. I do think that there are certain personality characteristics that naturally lend themselves to certain instruments or families of instruments. And I do think that, as you say, brass players tend to be extroverted because they need to be to play an instrument that can split incredibly loudly and you know everyone's gonna hear it there's a lot of risks in brass playing more so than you know if you're sitting at the back of a section of violinists for example anyway don't want to go too far down that road but yes I think that um, that sort of um, social environment definitely continues whenever I go and work with other orchestras I'm always chatting with the brass players backstage sometimes they will invite me to go for dinner with them or drinks with them and things like that um, one thing I will say is that particularly sort of in the days running up to concerts I will be very careful about how much alcohol I'm drinking especially the night before a concert which gets difficult if you're on tour and you have concerts every day because after a concert you definitely like to have a beer or something but I think yeah it's really important to manage not only sort of how the lips feel in terms of doing good warm-ups and cool downs but also making sure that you get enough sleep you don't drink too much you're hydrated you're eating healthily um, so that you can be at your best for the concert the next day you do sound remarkably balanced is health and well-being important to you generally yeah, it's becoming increasingly more and more important. I don't know if this is just um, as I'm getting older. I think a lot of people, when they sort of are approaching 
their 30s. I'm not quite there yet, but I know that it's a, a trend of everyone realizing that they actually only have one body and they need it to do quite a lot of things. <laughs> and so they need to start looking after it. So I think definitely I'm starting to look after my body more and be more conscious of, you know, we can't get away with the late nights and things that we used to do when we were at uni, for example. So yeah, definitely looking after myself more. I've started doing some strength training in the gym, lifting weights, which I think is really, really great, getting a bit stronger. Yeah. You have spoken very positively, actually, about your experiences as a female brass player in what is, in a lot of areas, a male-dominated space. And from what I could gather, that was because you've actually spent a lot of time in the company of other female brasses. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. I think it's really, really important to have a good community of female brass players and try to lift each other up and celebrate the change that's happening. I love that. And there are some really strong figures around at the moment, aren't there? Alison Balsam, Sarah Willis, off the top of my head. Um, one thing you did often say was that uh, people just didn't expect you to be as loud or as accomplished as your male counterparts so I guess in an ideal world we wouldn't even need to be having these conversations around gender it would just be about the music and the artistry but for you as someone who has become more and more prominent in recent years in this particular climate which is changing quite quickly I'm curious as to whether you have personally had any negative experiences within the industry as a result of your gender I mean, there there are always going to be the comments on social media. That's one thing that you'll never be able to get away from. And also comments from audiences and other people in the industry regarding what you're wearing or what you look like. At this moment in time, I don't think that's avoidable yet. You know, things like marriage proposals coming into the DMs and oh, various, yeah, various <laughs> things like that. But you can just ignore those. <laughs> so that's good. When someone makes comments to your face, it can be more difficult. And sometimes if it's a sweet old couple at a concert who make a comment about your concert dress or something, then you just sort of have to smile and be polite and laugh it off. But that, yeah, there's no escaping that as a female in a brass world that's male dominated. That's always going to happen. However, I do think that the world is changing, the industry is changing, and I think that it's so much more common now to see females in the brass world than it was when Alison and Tina Tinghelseth and people like that were sort of paving the way. So I do see some very positive change, um, and I think it's really important for us to all create that community and lift each other up and celebrate the people who are winning jobs in orchestras or winning jobs as a professor at conservatoire. It's fabulous to see so many of my peers stepping into those roles now as well. Mm. Going back to what you said about people commenting on what you wear on stage, for you, is there actually any importance in what you wear when you're playing a concert? Does it make a difference at all? Well, it's interesting you say that because I'm having a little bit of a rethink. I was sort of brought up at a time when all classical soloists were wearing these sort of full length concert prom dress type things. Um, so I naturally just thought that that was what you wore as a soloist and that was what I should wear. So I've always worn, you know, the sparkly sequined embroidered ball gown dresses, whatever you want to call them. 
Um, and I've been talking about this with a lot of my friends and colleagues recently and saying, hang on a minute, have I actually chosen this? And if I if I decide that I do choose that, then that's absolutely fine and that's brilliant. I think the most important things for me are to feel to feel comfortable on stage. So for example, I only ever wear sort of skinny straps because I get very hot on stage. And I know that if I had anything with sleeves, long sleeves, I, that would just be, you know, that would be curtains for me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, to be comfortable, to be practical as well in terms of the types of materials. I don't want to be um, steaming a dress every time, or I don't want to have be having to dry clean between every single concert. You know, that's just not practical. But then I also like to feel a sense of occasion. So much like you would put on your your school uniform if you're if you live in a country where there is a school uniform or you would put on a suit to go to work if you worked as a lawyer or, you know, put on your scrubs as a doctor, whatever that may be. I think it's important for me to have outfits or dresses or whatever, whatever it may be that are reserved just for those concerts so that I feel that sense of occasion and that sense of performance, almost like putting on a costume. But I, yes, I would say I'm reevaluating it, possibly leaning towards something slightly less formal or slightly more colourful, I think. But it's a process. It's a journey. We'll see what happens. <laughs> we love to see it. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing your experiments as you go forward. <laughs> no, but it's great that we can have these conversations now and actually give it some thought, isn't it? Like you said, you just kind of go along with the norm without thinking sometimes. Yeah. And and maybe I can wear slightly shorter dresses in the summer. I'm not saying like tiny bodycon dresses, but you know, what about a dress that stops at the knee? <gasps> Showing some skin. Exactly. <laughs> the thought of it. I know. That would be great for me in the summer when it's really hot. I well, there that. you go. And as you said, it comes down to you feeling comfortable first and foremost. Um, I'd like to go back to what you were saying earlier about social media and the comments in particular. You recently said that you were feeling uninspired with social media and you're obviously very active on there as part of your work. But I'm wondering, what is your relationship with social media like? Complicated. I think I see it mostly as a tool for good. And I I think the thing I enjoy about it the most is being able to connect with people all over the world and having people uh, engage with my posts, especially if it's sort of uh, trumpet related, music related. I absolutely love that sense of community and bringing together trumpet players from all over the world. A lot of my followers come from America and from South America as well, a lot in, in Brazil and Mexico and all these amazing places that I've yet to even go to um, and I hope to do so one day so I I love that aspect of it I think over the summer I was feeling a little bit um, uninspired a little bit drained by it I had a couple of unfortunate interactions that sort of slightly put me off and I was just feeling like you know what I'm just going to go off and enjoy my summer and a lot of the summer I was spending with friends and family anyway. So I was just thinking, right, let's just take a few days off. And it turned into a bit of a, a much longer break than I anticipated, actually. But now I can come back to it with some fresh ideas and some renewed enthusiasm. Mm. Well, you share a lot about what's going on in your trumpet 
life, but you're also sharing a lot of your day-to-day activities and your thoughts on music and life in general. Was that a conscious decision that you made because you wanted to do it? Or did you, like so many other musicians and creatives are feeling at the moment, did you feel like you had to just in order to keep up? No, I would definitely say that I've always felt complete autonomy over the content that I make and put out there. Sometimes I have felt, oh gosh, I haven't posted in a couple of days. I need to post something. Um, But I still have choice over what that is. You know, I can always come up with an idea or I can veto my own videos. So I think from that sense, and also I've got choice over what I share. I think that's something that's important to remember. I don't share huge amounts about my personal life. I don't share huge amounts of my family and my friends. I I keep that very, very separate. Occasionally I share things about friends that I'm working with or collaborating with or meeting up with to go to a concert together or something that's still music related. But I wouldn't show my cousin's christening or, you know, those kinds (laughs) of family events. I keep that completely, completely separate for me. Well, you've effectively been building a brand haven't you you know does it ever get tiring being at the center of it because I guess your brand is you yeah I think it's this whole concept of brand is really interesting and I think to be quite honest I think that only really implies when you have hundreds of thousands of millions of followers that they know exactly what their followers are expecting from them and if they do something that's a bit different they might get criticism from it or people say oh that's not what she does or he does or whatever but I think that I'm my brand my brand is me so whatever I choose to post that's part of my brand and and I get to again I get to have full control over that but yes I know what you mean in terms of the brand and again it, it comes back to that word that I used to really struggle with authenticity I never used to know what it meant. People always used to say, oh, you've just got to be authentic on social media, blah, blah, blah. And I was always like, what, what is this word authentic? But I do get it now. It basically just means to be yourself and to do what feels right for you and then to back yourself and put it out there. And if someone doesn't like it, who cares? If someone doesn't like your content or hates on your video, that's a reflection of them and not not of you. Mm. Sadly, there's always going to be someone that doesn't like what you're doing, isn't there? And what you might expect that someone to do is to not follow you or to not engage. But as you said, you've had some unfortunate interactions. Anyway, it's brilliant that you're able to just shake all of that off and keep going because clearly there are plenty of people that enjoy your playing and your your videos as well. So good for you. Thank you. And I, and I will say it's a process. You know, I was upset enough about those interactions to not post for about three weeks so you know that was something to to work through in discussion with again with lots of friends and and colleagues as well in the industry and one of them said to me the other day that the more impact you have and the more impact your your content has and the more power it has to to do good or to entertain or to change the way people think the more negative reactions you're going to get because you're challenging the way that people think or you're expressing an opinion that they disagree with. So in a sense, the more haters you have, the more successful you are, (laughs) or the more impact you're having on 
whatever space you're trying to occupy or create in the social media world or just in the world in general. That, that's an interesting way of looking at it. You know, it makes a lot of sense. And I guess with social media, it's going to be something that we have to just keep adjusting to as new platforms pop up, as they inevitably will, and people start using them in different ways there's probably going to be new challenges that present themselves and it's all it's all a journey isn't it everything in life is a journey there's no there's no peak of the mountain it's a just a constant evolution Your best career high was a CD launch concert that you did in Oulu in Finland in April 2023. If you'd be so kind as to tell me about it and why you've chosen it for today. Yes, so I chose this concert um, because it was really a culmination of um, such a lot of hard work and a huge gamble and a huge risk, really, that I took. Um, in creating this CD project. We recorded the CD in the summer of 2022, um, which was an amazing process. It was incredibly tiring and exhausting, but so satisfying and so rewarding when it was finished. And then the conductor, Rumon Gamba, brought me over to his orchestra in Finland, in Aulu, where I actually had actually performed previously, but not with him. And so he brought me over to Finland and we performed four or five of the tracks from the CD in concert. The first time I had been there, it was in the height of COVID and there was no audience. So it was just a live streamed concert. So to sort of have that experience and then to go back to a completely sold out hall and it's a, it's a huge hall. The whole experience of that entire week was just so lovely. I got to meet the audience um, signing CDs. I got to do a pre-concert talk as well and meet some of the audience before the concert. But I think the real magic happened on that stage because I knew the music so well from having practiced it to get it to a recording standard and then record it. And because Rumon and I had worked so closely on the recording, these opera arias have a huge amount of rubato and nuance and ebb and flow within them it's not just sort of setting off a piece in a strict time and there it goes they have so much room in them and so so many moments where I'm doing a little cadenza or a little flourish or embellishment here and there and because we knew each other and the music so well and Rumon knew the orchestra so well and we all, you know it was just this wonderful collaboration so I could sort of pull it around on stage I could be completely free with the music and I knew that he was with me and the orchestra was with me and I call it the magic of live performance um, but you can't really describe it unless you've been there <laughs> something special happened on that stage that day and we came off off the stage and it was the most wonderful feeling that sounds incredible. I mean, it sounds like you've got a really great working relationship with uh, with Rumon there. How did that partnership come about? So actually, it was the recording label, uh, Shandos, who suggested Rumon for the project. And so we'd met up a few times to discuss it and to get to know each other. And I thought it was a great suggestion. So I was very, very pleased with that. And since we've gone on to collaborate together and he actually surprised me at one of my concerts uh, in Sweden which was I didn't realize it so I was doing a, a chamber music concert in Sweden with uh, with a group of singers that I work with regularly 
And he happened to be in with the orchestra in the same town that week, which I didn't know. And halfway through the concert, I spotted him (laughs) in the corner. So that was really lovely. And we went out for dinner and drinks afterwards. And it was was an absolutely amazing evening. I actually have a a photo from that evening framed in my practice corner because I liked, yeah, I like to remember these things and, and to take inspiration or motivation from them in a moment where I think oh I really don't want to sit down and do my practice today (laughs) happens to all of us what else is in your practice corner oh I have lots of things I actually have it's not up at the moment because we've recently moved house so I need to put it up um I have a a pin board that's sort of my motivational board so I have written up a couple of quotes of things that teachers have said to me um, and then I have some pictures from concerts some concert programs brochures of my own and of my musical heroes like my my professor Hawken Hardenberger I have some pictures of his concerts and concert tickets of mine of the concerts I've been to all of these different types of things oh I love it it's odd isn't it spending all those years in uh, in those practice rooms at college, those white-walled practice rooms. And then coming out, I'm guessing being able to customise your physical environment must make such a difference to your practice sessions. Absolutely. I think, as we said earlier on, we spend so much of our time practising. You've got to make it nice. You've got to have a... I always have a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> Treat yourself. Absolutely. Your worst career low was a six to eight week period during the COVID lockdown in early 2021, uh, where you had a crisis about your career and you were seriously contemplating leaving the music industry. Clearly that didn't happen. So that's great news. (laughs) Um, But can you describe that period for me? Yes, I can. So to put it into context, at this point, we had lived through the first lockdown of 2020 that was roughly six months long, wasn't it? Sort of March to September. And then we'd had a brief period of respite where concerts were happening September, October. I had one in November and then it pretty much all shut down again. So entered 2021 thinking, okay, 2020 was pretty awful for all of us. It can't get any worse you know, let's, let's regroup. And I had all these sorts of goals and things that I'd sort of set out that I wanted to achieve or projects that I wanted to fulfill in 2021. And by the time we got to around March, it became very clear that none of those things were going to be able to happen. And that 2021 was going to be just as bad, if not worse than 2020. I had a full six months. My first concert that I performed in 2021 was at the 20-something of June I didn't perform in front of any audiences, live stream or not, for a full six months. So by the time it got to sort of March, I don't think anyone had any idea if the industry was ever going to come back. All my concerts have been cancelled or postponed. And even then it was becoming increasingly difficult to reschedule them because no one knew when we'd be allowed to do things again. And I think just that uncertainty about the future of the industry really made me think, is there any point continuing this? I've always been someone that much prefers performing to practicing. (laughs) I don't particularly like practicing that much, but for me, it's worth it to practice to then be able to do all the concerts and make music. And, you know, it's worth it. 
and I like practicing a lot more now than I did then but again that's probably now because I have concerts and I have things to practice for um but when you're just sat sat at home practicing and there's no concerts nothing in the diary to sort of look forward to or work towards it was getting a little bit soul destroying um I had also taken a part-time job in a completely unrelated field I was working in digital marketing for a book publishing company, children's books. Oh, wow. So I was doing that three days a week at that time. And so I started to think about other options. You know, I thought, right, I've got a degree from Cambridge and I've got this work experience now in, in marketing in an unrelated field. So there are things I can do. I could do anything really was what I realized at that time. I was like, I could, I could go and pretty much do anything that I put my mind to. And I sort of ummed and ahed over all these different options of things that I could pursue. And the sort of deciding factor for me was that I was never going to feel as fulfilled and as satisfied doing any of those jobs as I would as a trumpet soloist. And nothing really can beat the feeling of when you come off stage that that high that you get after a concert after making music with other people sharing that with the audience and I felt that so I know how good it feels and I didn't want to lose that gosh that sounds intense and I mean you definitely weren't alone in going through that for sure but it sounds like in your case at least this this crisis was more circumstantial as opposed to having come internally from you like if covid had never happened and you hadn't had such an extensive break from playing do you think you still might have ended up in that same place questioning whether music was for you i'm not completely sure however i did also i sort of failed to mention this in my telling of the tale but the management company that I was signed with, I'd only been with for just over a year. And at the very start of the COVID pandemic, April, the management company filed for dissolution and ceased to exist. So for me, one of the things that I was really excited about as I kind of transitioned from doing my master's into being a professional was that I had finally got the support of a great agent and a great management company. Um, So when we went into the pandemic, that all fell away. Um, And to be honest, I think that that would have that would have happened anyway without the COVID pandemic. I'm not sure if the two things were related or not. Um, But I think that 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 would have happened anyway. So I was sort of back to square one in that sense of feeling like I was completely on my own again um, and and feeling like I didn't have that the support system and the kind of stamp of approval and just the the help (laughs) you know being a soloist I I think maybe people won't realize that in the early days you are the one that is emailing the orchestras the conductors the festivals with your program ideas then you have to negotiate your own fees and you don't know what kind of budgets these people have you don't know what artists have been paid the year before or three years ago whereas the agents have all of this knowledge to be able to help you the most so I think that that would have happened regardless of the pandemic probably and that was one of the things that I then was really struggling with because I didn't really have time anymore to do my part-time job, do all the practice and do this whole other administrative behind the scenes, everything. It was just too much. So I was definitely feeling overwhelmed by that. And at this 
at that point was when I was starting to think like, I really don't want to be doing this part-time job anymore because I need all of that time to kickstart the the momentum um, with the concerts and being a trumpet soloist, but I need the money (laughs) to pay my rent. So it was one of those um, tricky dilemmas. And I did sort of wind my way down with the part-time job, even though I knew that there wasn't going to be any money coming in for a while because the concerts were all happening in the future and then the money comes in after that. So it's, yeah, I, I had to take a little bit of a financial risk that the time that I spent doing all of that outreach and redoing my website and I spent some money to make some videos and all of those things that were going to pay off and be worth it in the future. So that was definitely a risk. That's so tough. Were you still playing the trumpet during this time? Yes. Yes, I was. The The longest that I stopped playing was two weeks. I did do a few talks and I did a few courses with young trumpet players over Zoom. So those sort of slightly kept me going because I felt like, oh, at least I can help these few people or talk to these school kids, um, which I really enjoyed doing. And there, that was a bit of a lifeline for me that I could still connect with people and share things with people without having to play. Um, And since then, I've done a lot more of these types of talks and masterclasses, and I'm continuously expanding that area of my work. So I think I'm a person that believes that things happen for a reason. And now I I don't think that the, the pandemic was a good thing at all. I think it was a horrible thing. But I think that good things have come from it. And I think that I have much more clarity on exactly what I want, why I want it, why I'm doing it, what success means, all of those things since having that upheaval and having considered what life would be like without it. And I gave myself a sort of deadline. I said, right, I'm going to really go for this 100%. I'm going to put everything that I can into this. I've got to find myself a new agent. I've got to get the CD project to the ground. I've got to reach out to all these people. You know, I had lists and lists and lists. In three months, I these were my goals. In six months, this was my goal. And I said to myself, if within 18 months, you haven't managed to succeed in those things, you don't have concerts coming into the diary, you don't have that momentum rebuilding, then you throw in the towel, you call it a day, but you know deep down that you tried your best and you did everything that you could do. I think if I'd given up in COVID, I would never have been able to forgive myself. Look, power to you. I mean, I'm glad that it's worked out for you because it's almost like an identity crisis, isn't it? When you're a musician, so much of who you are is wrapped up in how you play, why you play, all the experiences you have around the playing. So it must have been really tough. Totally. And another thing on that identity topic, my identity at the start of the the pandemic was so wrapped up in the trumpet in the sense that sometimes as a brass player, I don't know if other instruments experience this in the same way, but sometimes it just doesn't work properly. Then there's not really a reason for it. And that would ruin my whole day if my lips didn't feel good. Or I used to get quite a lot of spots around my mouthpiece and embouchure um, that would make it really painful. And that would be really frustrating because I couldn't do what I wanted to do and all of those types of emotions. And that would write off the whole day. And I think when we had more time to reflect on that, 
it became important for me to separate that identity, not just from the instrument, but from music as a whole. And also to think about who I am outside the trumpet, outside music, what are the things that make me happy or what are the kind of other roles that I am as a human? You know, I'm a friend, <laughs> I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, I'm a niece, all of these these sorts of relationships as I am more than just being a trumpet soloist. Um, and I think that was a very important thing to learn and definitely something that has affected the quality of my life for the better. Well, that's a great place to get to. I mean, I think it's it's particularly difficult for musicians and creatives in general to get to that place, isn't it? I think it's the nature of what we do being so subjective. If you're a mathematician or a scientist or some other field where there is a right and a wrong and you just have to study and then you'll get get it right. That's completely different from what we do. When we go into auditions or competitions and we're being judged against even the same instrument or sometimes other instruments as well, it's so difficult. I mean, being a jury member for some of these auditions and, and competitions is so, so difficult. And because it's so subjective, when you get the rejections, it feels so incredibly personal because it feels like, oh, they didn't like my playing. They didn't like my sound. They didn't like my interpretation. So it feels so, so personal because music is coming from within us. So it's it's ours. And it's when we play music, we're bearing our emotions and soul for the world to see. And so if someone says, oh, actually, they did better than you, we're going to kick you out and give this person second prize. It feels so personal. It feels like an attack on our identity. All right, Matilda, one last question for you. And this is for our end segment, Closed Circuit, which means that it came from a previous guest. So your question today is... How do you explain to someone who loves music, but not classical music, why it's special and what its distinctive qualities can be? So I think that classical music is really special because of how varied it is. In no other genre of music could you find more different styles from Gregorian plain chant to, and choral music to piano quintet to a brass band to a film music there are so many different genres encompassed within this term of classical music that there is something for everyone in there um so that's what i think is so special about classical music and i also think that it is so intimate and so personal and what i love about it is that i can play a concert to a room of a few hundred people or a thousand people, however many people are in that concert hall. And every single person in the audience will have a different experience of that concert because of what's going, whatever's going on in their lives and their thoughts and their emotions. They will each read that concert and experience it slightly differently. So I think it's incredibly intimate and personal and that no one can tell you you're wrong. If, if you felt something in one way and someone felt something differently, that's fine. Does that make sense? <laughs> it absolutely does. And I think that's also a great place to end. So Matilda, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you so much for listening to The Classical Circuit. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would be really grateful if you could rate, review and subscribe to the podcast as this helps others to find out about it. You can also follow us on Instagram for more updates at The Classical Circuit. And this podcast is also available on The Violin Channel's website, which is theviolinchannel.com. Thank you again and see you next time.